If you've ever searched for a methodology on how to be more productive, you've inevitably come across getting things done. Today, I welcome David Allen to the show on the revision to his book, which launches this week. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 184. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And if you're like me and you care a lot about productivity and you're always thinking about what are the ways you can maximize your effectiveness at being productive, the person you need to know is David Allen. David Allen is the author of the blockbuster bestseller, Getting Things Done. It uh, first came out uh, uh, over a decade ago now, and David is releasing a new version of the book coming up here in March 2015. I thought it would be the right time as a result to talk with David and to ask him to share some of his wisdom on the Getting Things Done methodology and also about how his thinking has changed as uh, as the as his work has evolved and as time has gone on from the original book. And so, David, I am so uh, thrilled to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Hey, delighted to be here, Dave. Thanks for asking me. Well, I'm. Uh, we're going to approach this conversation very much from the standpoint of I know many people in the listening audience are familiar with the Getting Things Done methodology. Um, and I've actually asked our audience for some questions on social media and have a bunch for you. But before we do that, for the benefit of those who may not be familiar with the methodology, I'm wondering if you could just give us a brief overview of what getting things done means and how it works. Well, in, there's sim- several simple ways to describe it. Uh, one is the way you get things done is you define what done means and what doing looks like and where it happens. So outcome and action thinking actually is part of the sort of the fundamental essence of what this thought process is. And it's really as much a thought process as it is an organizational system. It's what do I need to think about this email? What do I need to decide about it? And then what are the results of it once I make those decisions? So in a way, a very simple description of it is a five-step model about how you get any situation under control and more focused. And those five steps are, first of all, you have to identify what's not on cruise control. That is, you need to capture things that have your attention. You don't write them down, uh, get them out of your head. Number two is you need to decide and clarify what exactly those things mean and what you're going to do about them, if anything. That's where the outcome and action uh, you know, thought process comes into play. Once you decide, gee, this, this email I got or this thought I had when I woke up this morning or this input I just got from the board meeting, you know, what do I need to do next on this? And is there some project I need to you know, clarify about it? So that's the executive sort of operational clarification that happens at stage two. Then you park the results of that thinking in appropriate places. I need to organize uh, actions I need to be reminded of, uh, projects that I need to review on some consistent basis. I need to park all those in appropriate categories so that then on that stage three is obviously organize uh, the results of your thinking. Stage four is to be able to step back and take a look at the whole gestalt or the whole game or the whole inventory, if you will, of these different uh, contents of what your work is and what your commitments are. So that then stage five, that's where you engage. Okay, where do I put my focus, my attention, my resources right now? What do I do, essentially? So it's a, it's a capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage process. 
Now, I didn't really make that up. What I did was identify what actually happens when you get your kitchen under control or your company under control or a meeting under control or your head under control. I just made it much more explicit. Uh, but once that, those, those principles are explicit, each one of those five stages has its own best practices and its own tools. They're not one thing. You don't just sit down and get organized. You don't just sit down and set priorities and trust the result of that. They're really, this is really a holistic model that you need to engage in. But once you do that, without exception, anybody who sits down and gets stuff out of their head, makes those decisions, parks in the right place, steps back, looks at the whole game, invariably will feel more uh, in control and more easily focused on what their priorities are in terms of meaningful stuff, without exception. And I haven't seen any exceptions that I've worked with hundreds of thousands of people for the last 30 years and watched that methodology just be bulletproof. Well, and the track record that your organization has is really just incredible. And, and the, the raving fans that you have on the Getting Things Done methodology, me included, has really changed how people are productive and how they are effective. And I think one of the strengths is the thinking process that goes along with it and the strategy. Um, well, you, you know, interestingly, Dave, as simple as all this sounds, and it actually is in, in, in one way, it's advanced common sense. You know, this is not like some, you know, new foreign technology or, or, or language or something. I mean, it, all these behaviors are actually quite simple and everybody's already doing them to some degree anyway. However, we are not born uh, doing this and being able to surf on top of it. It actually is a very learnable thing that you can either apply or not apply. It doesn't happen automatically. Your brain does not automatically do this. It actually takes cognitive horsepower, <laughs> if you will. You have to actually focus and focus appropriately in order to be able to get your head clear. Yeah, simple, but not necessarily easy if you haven't been thinking that way. And that's why I, I really like that you look at this from a very holistic perspective of kind of get people to think about how to really approach this from a different perspective and, and train yourself to do this well. And, you know, I think that that probably begs the obvious question uh, here at the beginning is you've you've revised the book. What's new in the revision? And also, what isn't new? What stays the same? Most of the methodology, actually probably 99.9% of the methodology is exactly the same. You know, I just sort of uncovered gravity and gravity's not changing. <laughs> you know, right. like, hey, keep stuff, if you get, get, keeping stuff in your head, it's in the wrong place. And that's been true since, you know, since 1843 and it'll be true in 2112. You know, so that there, there are some universal things that actually don't change in terms of how do I get stuff off my mind without having to finish them? And how do I feel more in control of the inventory of what my commitments are? So the methodology in terms of the core methodology itself really has not changed. Um, what has changed, I added three new chapters to the book, and I also rewrote all of the text. I literally sat down and just rewrote the book. Uh, not, uh, not a, you know, I didn't, a lot did not change, but what I wanted to do was make it even more evergreen. I mean, the, the, the 2001 version of this it was pretty evergreen. We worked pretty hard to strip out sort of business buzz terms, the you know, sort of popular stuff, you know, du jour, as well as any time-based stuff. But there was still, you know, now if you pick up the, uh, the original edition of this, you can read it and you go, mm, that was probably written a decade ago. Because mm -hmm. I mentioned VCR, I mentioned the Palm Pilot, you know, and I talk a good bit about, you know, paper-based materials because people still had a lot then. And people were just beginning in 2001 to get enthralled and overwhelmed by the new technologies. So, uh, you know, an obvious thing that's changed is the, well, well, let me back up. Probably the most significant thing that's changed is not the methodology, but how many people in what ways now have to have this in order to be sustainable uh -huh. in the world that we're dealing with, with the always on, you know, you know, digital flood uh, 
and plethora of stuff that we have as uh, you know options to deal with and choices to make. What's also new is how frequently stuff is new. And that's really been true for a, a long time, actually. You know, the beginning of the century, really, uh, people have often asked, gee, David, what's changed with all this? I say, what's really changed is just the speed with which things, you're getting new input that, that could totally recalibrate what your priorities are. You know, the, you know and all the typical stuff, global globalization, competition, technology, um, you know, flattened organizations, the recession, all of that stuff, you know, has created the need for uh, organization to be nimble, to be able to move fast, to be able to shift their gears rapidly. So as opposed to the top 1% of people, you know, executives that have always had to deal with ambiguity and to deal with those kind of changes and deal with, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, create some sort of a sensible structure out of this chaos, you know, to keep us going instead of 1%, that's now 85%. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. got to do, got to do that. So it's it, what's spread a lot is how many people at what levels need this, methodology in order to be able to be self-sustaining because most of the people listening to this if they're executives or, or managers or supervisors or whatever and in a small business um, you don't have time to have to, to handhold your people you need to expect them to be making good executive decisions you know when they walk out of that team meeting and expect them to know how to execute and expect them to be able to you know thread through all of this stuff and stay current and not miss stuff that's potentially important and keep their eye on the meaningful stuff so I think, you know, that's, that's, those are, those are some, some of the significant changes that have happened. Fabulous. Yeah. And I know I think a lot more about capture these days than I used to just because of the volume of information and the, the various different places that it's coming from. So I think, uh, I think a lot of our, our listening community can relate to that. And, and, and speaking of the listening community, I reached out, as you know, for questions from the folks who listen to this show on what, what are they thinking about with getting things done and how, uh, you know, looking for some perspective from you, David, on how they can approach things. So I'm going to jump right in here and just uh, tackle a few of these questions if you're game. Um, the sure, let's go. Yeah, the first one here says, so when should you stop list making and start doing the list? And I know you've done a lot of thinking on this. Um, he's, he says, every one of my attempts at better productivity has resulted in some fantastic lists. <laughs> Well, there's a lot sort of embedded in that question. Uh, you know, how much, you know, do you have a favorite athletic team, you know, sports team? Uh, how much of their week do they spend preparing for the one hour of real work? Mm. Right. So if you, if you spent seven hours of your eight hour work day getting ready for the last hour, that last hour is going to be hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm being yeah. hyperbolic here make, to make a point. Well, if the reason for making the list is to be really, really clear about what you're not doing and feeling really, really good about the choice about how you allocate those resources, you're going to be way ahead of the game. I don't care how long it takes you to do to get to that point. If you're not at that point, you're going to be driven by latest and loudest. So you decide. So if you're making the list because simply because I like making lists and it's fun, I mean, come on, you know, there, <laughs> there, there are worse ways to waste your time. Uh, but if you're doing that, as a way to avoid a significant thing you ought to be engaged in, then sure, that's, you know, you can, you can, you can make organization or, or list making or exploring new geeky tools, you know, that can be as much an avoidance as, as, as a productivity enhancer, you know, for sure. So you really have to be aware of it. I come down or come back with a basic criterion called what's most on my mind right now. 
And if what's most on my mind is I don't know what should be on my mind right now, then I'm going to take as long as it takes to get clear about what I need to focus on and what I'm missing or what I'm not missing. Give me the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Pull out the map and see where I am. So those maps, that's really what those lists are. I mean, that's also, you know, I've recently come to start to really understand and describe a lot of what this methodology is about is creating all the right orientation maps. If you look at your calendar, you're using that as a map to orient yourself in space and time. If you look at a list of all of your projects that you have committed to, uh, that's a map that will orient you in terms of your horizons and what you feel comfortable about in terms of your clarity. If you, in other words, on and on and on. And so a lot of the GTD methodology is about building the appropriate map room with all the right maps and then making sure you look at the right ones so you don't hit a reef <laughs> and look at the right ones so you know you're headed toward Hawaii instead of uh, you know somewhere else out there on the ocean. And so I'm- all of those things are about what's the purpose of them. The purpose of it is to get your head clear, to give yourself room and space, to be able to then trust your intuitive judgments about where you focus your resources. And that's one of the things I've really liked about the methodology is that the the permission and the mandate, if you would, to to spend the time to do that, because, and we've talked about this on the show before, that there's the perception sometimes if you're spending time thinking that you're not working in a lot of organizations, that if you're not on a meeting or answering an email or on a teleconference, that it's not work. And the importance of stepping back and taking that time to think about where you're spending your time. I know for me, I... I just did an hour-long presentation today that spent several days thinking through before we did it because of the importance of it and making sure we got it right. So, Well, here's, here's the weird spin on that. The new cognitive research is validating not only do you need to spend time thinking, you need to spend time not thinking, absolutely daydreaming, because that's how the brain actually refreshes itself and creates you know, unconscious connections so that you think you know, that's what starts to put things together that allows you to wake up with the ahas. It allows you to see the, the perspectives, the strategies, the innovative, the creative thoughts that you know most people listening to this program probably think they ought to be having, uh, you know, maybe more consistently. But you need room to do that. You don't need time. I mean, how much time does it take to have a creative idea? Zero. How much time does it take to be present with your staff person in the elevator? Zero. How much time does it take to be caring? You know, zero. You don't need time for those. But if you if you're unclear in your head. <laughs> you don't have the room to do any of that. Yeah. No creative ideas, no refreshment, no ability to be present, to really be a leader and be trusted because of you know your ability to be sort of be there with somebody and you know with whatever the, is truly there. In other words, being able to get rid of all of your distractions allows you to both think regularly and focused appropriately, but also allows you to refresh yourself. And if you're, you know, if you got stuff banging around in your head, a bunch of residue of things that have not been appropriately managed, captured, clarified, and organized, and, and reflected on, then you can't do either one. You're not going to be able to fully be fully present in whatever you're trying to focus on or think about, and you're also not going to be able to sit back and refresh, you know, and 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 be able to do nothing. So, you know, I mean, we've compounded the 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 challenge right now is not only to get time to think. But to be able to clear your head so that that thinking is valuable and functional and that it can also be refreshed and optimize your cognitive productivity. But I got to tell you, Dave, I mean, you, you probably know this by now. I think somebody else asked a question. It's like, you know, gee, the weekly review, how do I stay on board with the GTD process? How about two hours a week? Jeez. <laughs> you, know, I'm, you know, think about if you talk about pre- preparing your game, stepping back and be able to think about what your work is, 
the late, great Peter Drucker would tell everybody listening to this, your biggest job is defining what your work is. Mm. So I challenge anybody listening to this to give me a map of every single thing you're committed to, i.e. your work. The things you're committed to finish, take care of, resolve, clarify, complete everything from, you know, uh, clean up your bank account to, to move your investments and keep, catch them up to hire the assistant to buy a dog to your next vacation. Most people live a much more complex life than they realize. So being able to step back and get on top of all that, that doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> you actually have to do these processes that require you to not only get your inventory, but step back and build some behaviors to be able to think about them from larger horizons. Well, and that's a perfect segue to one of the next questions that was sent in, which is how do you know when you're trying to do too much? Um, well, there'll probably be an inappropriate out of balanceness going on. Probably trying to do too much when you're letting something slip that you shouldn't have let slip. Um, you, you got wrapped around the axle too tight. Um, I mean, you can only do one thing at a time. So what do you mean by doing too much? You know, you can only do one thing at a time. You either Then that glass is either half empty or half full. You're either feeling this one thing I'm doing right now, talking to you, Dave, you know, via Skype, is the most important thing I need to be doing in my life right now. Or I'm sitting here going, oh, God, you know, won't he get off this thing? Because I got a lot of other stuff I need to do. I'm really buried. Yeah. But the people who really get this under control, really, there's no sense of urgency. There's a sense of caring and concern, but there's not a sense of franticness or reactivity. And you're, you're, you're making choices about allocation of resources. Come on, anybody who's been around the business game for a while knows it's a constant uh, hard choices about, you know, where you allocate limited resources. Yeah, and I, I, I've thought about that a lot recently, and you're probably familiar with the book Essentialism by uh, Greg McEwen. And I, it, it, when you really get that concept, I mean, it's, it's so simple, but it's profound. If you're doing this, you can't be doing anything else right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and it really is a decision process of, of thinking through that. And when you think through that in a very intentional way, how, how life, life-changing for me that's been in the last few years, especially with having young children, on how Ooh. I approach my day and my career and my utilization of resources. And I, I, I still struggle with that every day too. Yeah. Well, they're actually a fairly simple criterion that you and anybody can use. And it's my criterion about how I comfortable I feel is what's most got my attention right now. Because what most has my attention is probably hung up, and it's probably the signal of something that I need to resolve, handle, clarify, organize, park in some appropriate way, so that some part of me then frees up that even more meaningful focus in terms of what I'm doing. So you don't have to go very far to see where and how to apply this methodology. It's called what's most on your mind. Because there's usually an inverse relationship between on your mind and getting done. So whatever is bugging you, <laughs> in other words, if it, keeps, if it pops in twice of some thought in your mind, of you, some would, could, should, ought to, need to, you are then inappropriately engaged with whatever that thing is. And the big secret, Dave, and don't tell anybody this, the big secret about getting things done is it's not really about getting things done. It's about creating appropriate engagement with your life. Mm. So the degree to which you are appropriately engaged with your kids the degree to which you're appropriately engaged with your strategic plan, the degree to which you're appropriately engaged with this program. All of that could be indicated by whether or not any of that is on your mind. If something's bothering you or something is kind of niggling at you, call it, I need to spend more time with my daughter or my son, or wow, I really, you know, this thing is not as good as it really needs to be. I really ought to do something about that. That's just something to pay attention to. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is the, that is the way Essentially, we get messages from our world because we 
we've put intentions out there, we have visions, we, you, you can't stop being creative. It's the most productive people, by the way, that have created the most overwhelm <laughs> because they, you know, they're the ones that have taken on all these huge and big and ambiguous and incomplete things. So uh, just learning to recognize that so that you don't let that wrap you around the axle too tight and, and start to become anchors that drag on you. So that's why in, in the strange way, you know, I'll hop to another topic, which has always been fascinating to me, is why the people most attracted to what we teach, the GTD methodology, are the people who need it the least. It's the most productive people who are most aware of the need to get rid of drag on their systems. Why? Because they're moving. <laughs> they're moving mm -hmm. fast. And so it's people who aren't moving. They're in their comfort zone and don't particularly care about life you know, or anything being particularly different than it currently is. You know, they're the people that getting rid of drag is a drag. You know, because you actually have to do some things in order to be able to not have that stuff start to uh, start to weigh on you inappropriately. Well, speaking of things dragging, uh, one of the other questions that came in here was, how do you deal with procrastination? And if you don't struggle with this, they were wondering, what advice would you have for the rest of us? Yeah. No, I struggle with it like, like anybody does. I mean, you'll tend to avoid and procrastinate about the things that is most, most close to your heart or your spirit or your soul. The thing that really is going to make you successful is probably the thing you're going to be most scared of hopping into. There's a fabulous book on that called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. That's oh, tremendous. I read that and I went, oh, my God. You know, that is, he so nailed it. So it's really what we're afraid of. The reason we procrastinate is we, the, the greatest human fear is feeling out of control. It's the, you know, people are killing themselves and each other as I speak right now just to get a sense of psychological control. It's that powerful a thing. So for us normal, sane kind of human beings, the way that translates is you and I are not are going to want to avoid stepping into something we don't feel like immediately we can engage with, with it under control, you know, and focused. So it's obviously stepping into any kind of new territory, stepping into something you feel unfamiliar with, something you've never done 65 times, it's brand new. Or you're afraid potentially of emotional repercussions because of the conversation you need to have with that staff person. Or you're afraid of the physical repercussions. God, if I clean the garage, I'm going to have to deal with rats and, and, and rat poop. I mean, so, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of kind of things we'll, we'll procrastinate simply because we don't like those discomfort or uncomfortable feelings. But most of that's in your head. Once you start to clean the garage, you're fine. You know, once you actually start to have the conversation with your staff person, it turns out to be one of the best things you ever did. Yeah. So, you know, learning how to or start to recognize. And I learned from, you know, uh, you know, Tony Schwartz, a friend of mine. And Tony's, he's got a great admonition called, you know, one of the best habits you can probably build is the thing you're most avoiding, do it first. You know, and you can, that's actually not a hard habit to install if you really kind of get this. If you figure you're going to have to do it anyway. You know, so first thing in the morning is usually a good time if you have fresh energy because that's when your brain is not, you're not suffering from decision fatigue. And, you know, when you have to make hard choices about writing or thinking or doing something like that. So, you know, th that's a good admonition. So all of those help. The, the GTD methodology helps a ton because when, once you clarify, if you look at your emails, if you look at your to-do list, most to-do lists are incomplete lists of still unclear stuff that are highly unattractive to look at. Because they're reminding you of, of more operational decisions about things you haven't made yet. You know, if I look at to-do lists, I see things like bank <laughs> and mom, you know, and doctor. And that's fine. You've captured some things that probably have your attention. You need to do something about. But if you haven't decided specifically what you're going to do about mom's birthday or extending your credit line at the bank, you know, or launching the ad campaign, if you haven't got a next action on it yet, then there's a part of you that doesn't 
that's like it's out of control. Don't re- you know? Stop reminding me that I have decisions I haven't made. I don't feel like making decisions. So once you get in the habit and train the cognitive muscle about making next action decisions about whatever has your attention, that unsticks things a ton. Because the next action on anything is usually not that intimidating. Hi, pick up phone, punch number, you know, uh, <laughs> boot computer, hit key, you know, drive in car, walk in bank, you know, those are not hard to do. Uh, you just have to make those decisions in terms of that's, that's actually what I need to focus on and not try to create perfection in your head about something. That's the big, one of the biggest sources of procrastination is people's perfectionism. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be right. It's got to be the right thing to do. And therefore, I don't want to hop in because I'm not sure. And that is something that I think about consistently um, when I'm doing my weekly review is, and, and you're just, you frame this so brilliantly in the methodology is rather than trying to think all that out as you go, spend time to think that out at at, at at point during the week. And that way, the next action's always clear of where you're going next. You don't have to be thinking about that along the way at each next step. Where am I going next? Where am I going next? Um, and I, I think that that's a really profound shift when you get to that point where you've done that review, you can think that through and you know exactly where you're going, at least for the short to medium term or the weekly actions or task list or whatever it is. Sure. And uh, you know, quite frankly, a, a whole lot of people who are procrastinating the most are the people probably listening to this show, your mid to your senior level folks uh, in organizations, believe it or not, uh, you know, because I've spent thousands of hours quite literally desk side with some of the best and brightest. And invariably, there are, you know, five, 10, 15 key significant strategic things that are hung up and they're the bottleneck because they have avoided deciding what's next on this. Mm. You know, what's the very next thing I need to do? Many times, to your point, the next action is not to act on the project, it's to take an action to find out how to act on the project. Call set the meeting with somebody, surf the web and get some data. You know, the reason people usually can't make decisions is because they're lacking information. So there's usually a process action that you need to clarify, which will unstick a ton. And if you just say, okay, let me just set the meeting. Because then when you show up at a meeting with three smart people and you got a whiteboard, you feel a little stupid if you don't come up with stuff. So it's one of the best tricks in the world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> right? It's just, just engage. Go. You know, ready, fire, aim. Exactly. There's there's no better motivator than I, I need to present something tomorrow, and so I better come up with it this afternoon. Um, right. Yeah. You know, one of the other, um, I'm sure you get this question often, David, on you know apps and software, and you know so much of the methodology uses is 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 bigger than just in a, you know app or software. Um, but and we got questions for this conversation today too around that. But I, I actually would like to take the opposite view on that. Um, I know you know my friend Tim Stringer, who was on the show just uh, recently, and we were talking mm-hmm. about productivity and utilizing how, how we use technology differently these days. And, you know, I'm kind of curious under the lens of productivity. Um, you know, we had in our conversation talked about what was life like in 1975, you know, 40 years ago on before we had software and apps and all access to all these things. Um, and we still, there were some amazing things that still happened in the world. We got a lot done. And so what did we do better in 1975, before we had access to all these great apps and technology, that maybe some of that's getting in our way now and we don't do as well today? Well, my intuitive working hypothesis answer is we were thinking deeper. There's a new book out, by the way, called Brain Chains. Two words, brain chains, the chains around your brain by Theo Campanale, C-O-M-P-E-R-N-O-L-L-E. He lives in Belgium. It's an aggregation of an incredible amount of current research 
on how your brain does not work. And a lot of what's the problem with always on 24-7, always connected stuff is not so much the technology itself, but what it's preventing you from doing because of your addiction to it. Mm. Like having a real conversation, like actually reading a book and thinking about the contents of it. You know, being able to hold the world back without doing the smartphone prayer where you're sitting there just, you know, looking at your smartphone while you're trying to have a conversation. It's really absurd and obscene to just see, you know, <laughs> the way the world is just so. And, and the problem is, is that's, that's all very lightweight stuff. And also the problem is that the physical one is a physical addiction. Because every one of those emails, every one of those pings, every one of those Twitters, every one of those uh, Facebook notices or whatever if you pay attention to that, creates a dopamine rush in your brain. Also, one of the greatest sources of addiction is, is random positive reinforcement. Mm. And there's probably no better you know, uh, venue for random positive reinforcement than social media and your email. That now that actually says, even if you've just got your iPhone in your pocket and you're wondering who's buzzing you and what's going on there, even without opening it, you get the dopamine rush and it, it still supports the addiction. Yeah. And also supports the distraction. So you, by the way, read the book at your peril because he's going to show, he's going <laughs> to, he's going to, he's going to tell you that even hands-free phone in the car is as dangerous statistically as texting. I have seen that. And I, I'm, it's really fascinating because of the mental energy that's involved with that. There's some really fascinating studies on that. And I, I, I think it's really interesting, the, your comment about you know how much we've think thought about things or just paid attention to things. I, I've seen a couple of articles recently and just the statistics on how likely it is that someone has read something before they've shared it online, whether it be an article or blog post. And the numbers are dreadful. <laughs> I mean, most most people have not read uh, most of what they share online or they've just skimmed it. And it's it's really interesting how we've become so. It's so much, um, you know, we've got become addicted to this information, information, get it out there, and not really taking the time to just step back and do some thinking on it. Thinking is hard work, Dave. You know, if you, <laughs> if you have to write, create presentations, if you have to write a blog, that's hard work. So it, you, you need bandwidth to do that, and you need, you know, a reason to do that, and you need room to do that, and, you know, you need to be able to hold back the distractions and the addictions that you have that will tend to have you run like a rabbit away from sitting down to think about something. Well, and, um, and think, and, and speaking of thinking, you know, I've, I've used the methodology for many years and, um, and sometimes better and sometimes worse as far as my, uh, my allegiance to it. Um, and one of the things that I'm curious about is I, I really get a good sense of how to do it in the short to medium term. And, um, and one of our community members, emailed and said, how do you handle the long-term planning and the long-term goal setting on a practical level with the GTD system? Well, what's the difference between saying I want to be out of the room right now or I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm, you know, 45? What's the difference? Time frame? It's a time frame. But see, most people translate long-term into someday maybe. If you say, great, you want to be a millionaire by the time you're 45, what's your next action? And if you haven't figured out a next action, you're just inappropriately engaged with that goal. If you haven't figured out how to get out of the room, you're inappropriately engaged with your goal of getting out of the room. So it's really about, you know, okay, what, it, what is your intention? And, you know, it, it's true that the longer horizon stuff that we tend to look at is that much scarier. And it's like, oh my God, you mean I actually have to start to do something toward, toward that big goal or vision that I had? Yeah. Like, no, you don't have to. But just if, if it's bugging you that you're not moving on that, you know, you will be moved by something. So 
uh, you can't stop talking to yourself. You can't stop focusing. You can't stop being creative. It's like toward what? All those frameworks that say, okay, let me focus toward where I'd like the business to be. If it were wildly successful five years from now, what would be true? What business are we really in? Who are we really serving? What's our what's that those kind of game plans? And those are very rich. I mean, most people listening to this, if you've been around the block a few times, know that these are very strategic, very important, very fertile, and very much avoided conversations. Mm, <laughs> so, you know, getting yourself this, you know, put a stake in the ground and hold yourself down to that while the winds are blowing around you and say, wait a minute, guys, can we just rethink the purpose of our company right now? Yeah. You know, and so those are the kinds of the discussions. You know, so it, so they're all outcomes. Whether it's just get out, get out the door, you know, uh, or you know what what I'd like my life and career to look, sound, or feel like, you know, ten years from now. They're in a way they're all the same thing. Something that's not true yet, and some outcome that you're identifying or clarifying, and then you just need to be how how what is what is your agreement with yourself about that? Is that just something? And many times I've just created ideal scenes. I didn't have any kind of commitment to necessarily operationalize those right now. I just know how powerful imagery is and that it would automatically start to create some things that would go on unconsciously that would at some point get me to feel like doing something operationally about all of that. That's how pretty much I've created my life. You know, back in 1981, I discovered the power of the affirmational process, how to sit down and actually craft, you know, advertisement for yourself in your head. And so for, oh gosh, I don't know, 10 years or 15 years, I, I kept a set of 30 of those affirmations and they'd change regularly because they, they would start to show up. And I didn't necessarily have any operational action about any of those. I just kept looking at them and kept feeding them into my, uh, you know, unconscious or less than conscious part. And, you know, I'm everybody from Maxwell Maltz to, you know, uh, to, to everybody has, you know, all the cognitive psychologists and all that stuff is, is yeah, what you focus on is automatically going to start to create a result. But I think the issue is whether or not you think you need to be moving on that more than you potentially are. See, if you had all the time and money in the world, you don't, you know, it's like, well, have some pretty pictures in your head and see what shows up. You know, why not? Uh, you know, enjoy yourself. Uh, but at the same time, if some part of you says, and I am really committed to, and I've got a lot of people and a lot of resources, and, and there are other things in my life I want, for which this business needs to look like X, Y, and Z. I said, oh, great. So now you got a, now you got a goal no different than walk out the door. What's the next action? Of course, you know, what, what, what I've identified is the six horizons that we, have, that we have commitments about. So a lot of that comes down to which conversation at what horizon are you having. The top horizon I call horizon five, you know, that's your purpose. Why are you on the planet? What are, why are you here? What are you doing? Mm. You could do that about your company. What's the purpose of the company? And also, what are your core values? What really, 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 really matters to you? Now, that's one level of commitment, but even if you answered that, how much does that help you decide which email to write first? Well, a little bit, but you're going to need to get more operational. So you come down to Horizon 4, and what's the vision of, your, of you fulfilling your purpose successfully? What would that look like? Horizon 3 would be, what do you need to do to start to make that vision happen within the next 3 to 24 months? That would be your plans, your strategies, whatever, operational plans. And then you say, well, now, what do you, in order for your enterprise to get there in a healthy, balanced way, what are all the things you need to maintain? Grow sales, manage assets, grow staff, uh, quality control, customer service. You know, so you, then you have all the stuff that you need to manage and maintain just to keep the enterprise you know, healthy and balanced. That's horizon two. Then you come down to what are all the projects you actually need to finish about all that? Oh, i got to hire the assistant. We need to research a consultant about a new IT program that we think we want to install. I need to launch the ad campaign. 
you know, and you could do this both personally as well as organizationally. So that's the second horizon. Then horizon one are all the, the well, the, the horizon one are really all the projects. I mentioned that. Yeah. What are all the projects I need to finish, you know, about those things? And then you come down to the ground level. Okay, what are the physical actions you now need to take about any and all of those things? The emails you need to send, the stuff to buy at the hardware store, things you need to go over with your chairman, things like that. So, so those six, I couldn't get, I couldn't compress it any further than that. If you do, you'll implode. But those are six very distinct conversations to have that have to do with your intention, your directionality, where you're putting your creative thinking. And, you know, none of them perfect. You know, each one of those probably needs some shoring up. You move one, you better then recalibrate some of the others. You know, so, so it's a constant process of dealing with the flow of life's work because the nature of what your work will shift as you mature. So it's a constant process. You know, to that point, you know, ultimately a lot of another, the final chapter I've added in the new book is really about the path of GTD mastership. And the GTD mastery is not a one-time transactional event. I mean, how good can you get at cooking or parenting or speaking Italian or doing the tango or playing the banjo? There's no end. And there's no end to how elegantly and, and, and refined you can get at managing the flow of life's work. And I think that's, that's what's changed a lot since I wrote the book to begin with is my understanding of the subtlety of this and how much of a lifelong lifestyle art and craft it really is. It is, and uh, and yet there are the end to some things, and one of them will be our conversation here shortly, I know, because uh, I want to honor your time, of course. Um, so two practical uh, questions for you then. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm interested in how people can get access to the book. Um, and then I know a bunch of people are interested in, in you know, what thoughts you have on just software and apps and resources that are out there. So I'm wondering if you could tackle both of the, those for us and uh, point us in the right direction on when we can get access to the new version. Sure. Well, the new version officially launches in the U.S. and the U.K. March 17th. So it should be out there by the time people hear this, should be able to get access to it. Uh, I'm not sure when the audio versions of it will be out, uh, but the, the, certainly the paperback version of it will be out then in English. Uh, it's showing up in lots of different languages. I mean, the original version's in 30 languages, so we're working now because we're franchising our training program around the world. So we're working now with the uh, new versions of publishers and so forth in lots of different languages at the same time. So hopefully those will be happening sooner than later. So you can get it through all the sources you can get book from. So, uh, you know, go, go check it out and you'll see my smiling face on the cover. You will. If you, you will. If you, if you walk by it on a bookstore. In terms of apps, any good list manager will work fine. So any of that, any of that works. So any good list manager and the, uh, somebody just did a web surf and they saw over 700 apps are purporting to support the GTD model. So <laughs> have fun. Wow. Go take a look. And you know, there are a lot of fairly standard good ones out there, but you know, that's another thing about the book was I, I, I kind of unhooked from any specific software references, but just what are the general principles you need to manage and maintain because the software is changing by the week you know, in terms of new versions and new things and new apps. Mostly, most of the GTD apps out there are primarily just list managers with various different kind of bells and whistles in them. And any of them will work as long as you'll work it. The danger with the computer stuff, though, is out of sight, out of mind. So you really have to have the discipline of the GTD methodology. Otherwise, these things only work on a rainy Saturday when your inner geek shows up. When the fire hose of Monday hits you in the face, you better still be able to go in and access whatever you've got in that system in order to really make it functional. 
David, I really appreciate your wisdom and I appreciate what you've done to um, get this methodology out into the world. I know it's been beneficial to me. It's been beneficial to a lot of people I've worked with over the years. So so thanks for bringing this and, uh, and thanks for the new version of the book in advance. I, I, I've talked to a few people about it already and and the, the, the same response comes back from everyone who's read it. They say, yeah, I've been meaning to reread the book anyway. So this is the perfect excuse to go grab it. So I hope a lot of people will do that. It's a different book every time you'll read it. This this one too. So there's 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 a lot in there. A lot of the a lot of the layers of the onion to unpeel. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It's been great uh, having conversation. This was fun. David Allen is the author of the book "Getting Things Done," the best-selling uh, guide on how to be more effective and more productive with your time. And the new version comes out March seventeenth here in the states. Thanks, David. Man, there's so much here from this interview I could talk about for many episodes here going forward. But I guess the one thing that I'd leave you with, we actually didn't hit on much in this conversation, but is the concept that David Allen's taught for many years around the methodology, around your head not being for holding ideas, your head is for creating ideas and having ideas. And one of the things that he really stresses in the Getting Things Done methodology is to stop trying to hold everything in your head and get things down into a system on paper. And you know the methodology goes into great detail on that. But let me tell you, that has been huge for me. I, I, I know a lot of people who struggle with this, and, and I did too for a long time. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm a reasonably smart person. If I have a thought or an idea, I should be able to hold that in my head until I get somewhere where I can plan it out or write it down. And when I started disciplining myself to write things down when I had ideas, it is unbelievable the difference in how much better I am at creating, not even the creating ideas, but remembering the ideas of organizing them and then making decisions about taking action on them. If you did nothing else with the getting things done methodology, that is for sure a place to start. Because if you can start capturing what's coming into your mind, what you're thinking about, I think you, like me, will be really amazed at how much you miss if you're not writing things down and how much things just disappear and vanish. So if you're willing to try that out, I would love to hear from you on what happens with it. And of course, I'd really recommend checking out David's book. When I read the first version, gosh, probably 10 years ago now, it completely changed my thinking on productivity and how to be more effective. And if you have not checked it out. I know that that will happen for you too. As David mentioned, it launches here in the States on March 17th, which is this week. Uh, the link for the book is in the show notes. As far as I can tell, at least here in the States on Amazon, it's launching in Kindle version. So if you use the link on the website, it'll take you right there, or you can check it out in the weekly leadership guide for those of you who get that on email. Of course, I welcome your comments, questions, or feedback. You can do that at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And those of you who listen regularly know the first Monday of the month is our question and answer show. So the next one is going to be episode number 187 on the topic of coaching. So if you have questions on coaching or really anything related to the show, you can certainly send that in again, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And please do join my weekly leadership guide. The Leadership Guide is delivered to your inbox each Wednesday and includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, books, and other resources that will support your development between
between the Monday shows. And it also includes a brief overview and a link to the full weekly show notes. So today, all those books that David mentioned, I know those are all on my book list now. They're also all in the notes. So if you tend to listen on the go like I do, this will give you an easy way to follow up on the links from every show. And as a bonus, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get immediate access to my reader's guide listing the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with brief summaries from me on the value of each book. So you can download the 11-page reader's guide and the video of me walking through that those book recommendations, plus insights on the two I rely on weekly. For all of that, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that will get you onto the weekly leadership guide. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you on Wednesdays when that comes out. And I have another community feature this week, this time from longtime listener Rick Gray. Rick, take it away. Hey, Dave. Rick Gray here from Sanford, Florida. 30 minutes north of Orlando and that place your kids want to go, Disney World. I want to start by thanking you and Bonnie for all the information you have passed on to me the last three plus years. Now even more with the Carnegie Podcast. Thank you very much. I started listening to Coaching for Leaders actually after I found you in iTunes just by doing a search for leadership. I caught your second episode and you go back to number one. I listened to your podcast Monday morning, usually on my Nordic track for my 45-minute workout. Back then, I thought, what a concept. I could work out and learn something at the same time. For all those listeners who may remember the Carol Taylor interview, she was the former president of Vanguard University. And she talked about her position at Vanguard in relation to the story of the stagecoach tickets. Back then, you bought a ticket, first class, second class, and third class. Bottom line, with that third class ticket, if something happened to that stagecoach, you had to get off, go up your sleeves, and get to work and do whatever had to be done to get that coach back on the road. A great lesson, I believe, to all leaders and managers. Get involved, get the task completed. One more thing I remember about your podcast, Dave, was the episode about power and the misuse of power leaders have. In that episode, I related it to my little cocker spaniel back then who was six months old and the power that I had over that dog. And then I put that in perspective with my friends and family and anyone else that I come in contact with. Thanks for that great podcast, Dave. Well, Dave, time for my daily spin class. For all of you who have never taken a spin class, you get to ride a stationary spin bike for 45 minutes to an hour. The room is usually dark with an instructor that plays loud music while working your butt off. A little relaxation... And, of course, you get to lose a pound or so. Thanks, Dave. Enjoy the podcast. Rick, thank you so much. I remember working out on a Nordic track a long time ago, and that is a workout. So thanks for listening to the show while you're doing that. And you'll remember a few episodes ago, I'm doing a community member feature at the end of each episode now. And I'm so glad Rick mentioned episode 55, How to Lead in a Crisis, that featured Carol Taylor. Rick, that was also one of my favorite episodes of all time on Coaching for Leaders. Uh, so that's coachingforleaders.com slash 55. For those of you who may find yourself leading in a difficult time, that's a great one to check out. It's a really inspirational message. And then the power episode, coachingforleaders.com slash 154 that Rick mentioned. Turns out power and working in crisis go right together. Check that out as well, too. Thanks, Rick. And thanks, everyone. And I'll see you next week. Take care.